The Daniel Ruiz Tyson Podcast. Hey, how you doing? This is the Daniel Ruiz Tyson Podcast with me, Daniel Ruiz Tyson. Never going bald. Yeah, you know it. This week's show promises to be a cracker. Feeling confident about it. At show 38, December the 8th, 2011, coming to you from SW8, love, loss, and lattes. Lots of lattes. The whole year has been about lattes. Uh, just come back from my aunt's, as I do uh, uh, every Thursday, with the uh, the meal that I get from her. So as soon as this show's uploaded, I just heat up the meal. Saves me, uh, saves me cooking. Uh, on a Thursday evening. Had to do her Christmas cards this evening. Every year it's the same thing. She doesn't have a diary with all the addresses in it. Doesn't have an address book. None of that. Uh, Just bits of paper. Scraps. Scraps of paper for each contact. Every year it's the same thing. So uh, had to write about seven or eight of those. I told her she, you know, I could be writing whatever I want in there. She wouldn't have a clue. I could be writing all manner of things. And she acknowledged that that is true. And I don't because I'm a good person cold not so cold today actually here uh, it was it was very very cold yesterday very windy here though uh here in Stockwell. there's a tesco's bag stuck high up on a tree right opposite my flat it's ensnared itself on a branch it's a it's a rather bleak picture locals are carrying their cost uh cost cutters bags they they're coming up there they're stopping right outside my flat looking up at the tree it's become a bit of a tourist attraction uh, people are wondering how you know how on earth a, a tesco's bag got into Stockwell it just doesn't happen it's not too bad here though as I said today I've not been turning the heating on not really because it's been warm but simply because obviously I'm trying to save uh, save money um, I doubt there's a podcast in this country that's being recorded in as cold a flat as this this is well it's everything I expected it to be it's everything I was telling you it was back in the summer I anticipated the cold and I think I think because I anticipated it I can deal with it better this is exactly what I grew up with. This is just life going full circle. Me reliving my dad's life. This is me back in the kitchen at Mayflower with the oven on, the hobs on, typing away on an old manual typewriter, writing the first of many scripts that would be rejected. For new listeners, who am I? I'm a man who dreams of getting back to a time when there was no such thing as emoticons. I'm the man going into 2012 with his 2008 clothing and 2005 tan shoes from Next. I'm a man whose time has been and gone. I'm one of the few people around here to get through this recession without resorting to the uh, fried chicken shops and their chicken wing combo meals. I have a bad diet, but it's my diet. It's my diet. That's important. That's a source of pride to me started the week off with a a rather unusual visit to the uh, Royal Physic Garden off uh, Chelsea Bridge Road. Uh, I think it's the Royal Hospital. I'm not too sure. I've forgotten. I'm not very curious about the world. I never have been. I I grew up in London. All these galleries and um, uh, tourist attractions are are, are not too far away from me. And I've never, I kind of did it all during school. Ever since then, it's been very rare that I've gone off my own uh, accord. I think uh, tourist attractions, maybe the Eiffel Tower, simply because I'm so scared of heights, and at La Pedrera, Gaudi's uh, uh, place in uh, Barcelona where he once lived. They're the only two tourist attractions in my experience that have warranted all the hype. And uh, recently, when I was considering going to uh, France for a week or so, uh, I had a friend out there, and I, you know, I said to them, "Look, uh, if I go out there, I do need a guarantee from you that you will not be taking me uh, to see the sights. I'm not interested in the sights, and I'm genuinely not. It's not because I'm a philistine. What I'm interested in, and have always been interested in, has been the challenge of going abroad and trying to live." abroad that fascinates me that's you know that's what my family did that's what all these immigrants did when they came here it's a frightening thing you don't know a language to go abroad and try and integrate yourself into a into an alien society that fascinates me i don't know if i'd be able to do it certainly in a european city i mean i i ideally long term i certainly don't see my future in this country i don't think i i i feel very european rather than british and i would like to take on this challenge meet it head on Obviously, I need my work situation to be sorted out. I need the writing to be back to where it was to be able to do that. But yeah, I'm not curious about the world. But I saw this tweet by the Londonist on Saturday morning. Um, and I've always had this thing about gardens. I don't want a garden. I don't really enjoy sitting in a garden. But I'm fascinated by the designs and layouts of gardens. Um, 
in the same way that I'm fascinated by the layout of a golf course, even though I think as a sport it's as boring as Formula One, more boring than Formula One, and more boring than race horsing. Uh, race horsing? Horse racing. What am I going on about horse racing? Anyway, so I thought I'd be spontaneous. I uh, contacted uh, uh, Martin at the weekend. He was up for it. And I thought it would be a nice walk. There were various uh, routes available to us. We decided to take the least dangerous. We decided to avoid country the Patmore Estate, where uh, my last experience of the uh, Patmore Estate, where I have family, was a rock being thrown at me a couple of years ago and uh, me foolishly uh, choosing to confront uh, the, uh, the, the, the gang that threw it. Anyway, uh, we, we must have walked about seven miles at least that day, back and forth. Uh, we couldn't find the entrance. You'd think, as 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 Martin was saying, that if you've publicised that it's uh, you've got this uh, special offer on for a couple of weeks, and that people can come and see the garden, that you would publicise it better, that there would be uh, better quality of signs. They told us you've got to come to this gate. I called them up. I was irate. Martin was absolutely losing it. I thought, you know, it'd probably be good if we wait another five, ten minutes before getting in. I mean, we'd actually left at 1.30. We didn't get there till 3.15. We couldn't find this place. Uh, and I called them up and they said, you've got to come to this particular gate. You've got to ring the bell, blah, blah, blah. Wrong gate. We, we tried, we tried uh, I think, three different gates before we found this tiny door that said office entrance. And that was the entrance. And we went in there. Uh, I think by then we weren't really up for it. I think by then we just wanted to go. And uh, Martin was... Uh, neither of us were impressed, basically. Martin was doubting each plant's homeopathic qualities. Um, I was disappointed. I have to say I was really disappointed. It was so small. And, and, and we, we realised that we were actually on the main road, on the embankment, and able to look through the main gates that were locked. That one, we could hardly see anyone in there. And two, that we could see the whole garden... <laughs> from those gates was there any point in going in there already we knew that it was far smaller than we imagined it to be well certainly smaller than I imagined it to be because I thought it was where they actually host the Chelsea Flower Show and I've always been curious about going there and I just thought it's an opportunity to see something that is normally not open to the likes of myself and uh yeah, uh, I, I won't be doing that again. I was uh, I was very disappointed, so much so that I actually tweeted the Londonist who uh, obviously didn't bother replying. But uh, very strange, very strange that uh, you, you put on this uh, offer and yet you don't publicise it properly and that you're difficult to, to, to actually find. That was, a, that was a long day, an hour and a 45 minutes trying to, trying to get there. Been walking around the last couple of days with this uh, pain in my uh, left calf kind of shooting up. Now I have to do these calf stretches three times a day for the uh, as as a result of the old foot injury, which has been much better since the cortisone jab. As I've said, the clinic said though that the uh, calves were tight. I had to do these uh, stretches three times a day, three rep uh, repetitions each leg, 20 seconds each time, three times a day. It's uh, it's frustrating really. I, I I'll you know do them first thing in the morning, last thing at night. The middle one I just tend to forget. I know I need to get my act together there. Um, it was so cold at the start of the week that I tried doing them in three pairs of uh, bottoms on uh, Monday night. My uh, jeans and two tracksuit bottoms. I was worried that I might rip the latest uh, stitches on the crutch that my uh, arm had uh, uh, deftly repaired uh, once more. And I think as, as a consequence of that, I was stretching at a weird angle. And I think I've done my uh, my leg in. Wouldn't have happened, I think, if I had decent heat in there. I dream of uh, I dream of wintering in a nice warm flat in a pair of tiny 1980s shorts. It's just a dream right now, but maybe one day I can realise that dream. Been taking painkillers for it though, uh, but uh, not really alleviated. I'm just uh, not been doing any stretches, not been doing any workouts the last couple of days. Just hoping it will disappear. I hope anyway that you're all keeping well and warm yourselves. Um, we got what else? Uh, what else is coming up on this week's show? We have got two uh, new features: the Nose Hall of Fame uh, timestamp, uh, more of which uh, later. Um, just to let you know, I've had to. Uh, well, I mean, this is not really for you, something for you guys to uh, worry about. This is just at my end of things. I've had to uh, buy more bandwidth for the show this month as it continues to grow, which is great news. I just wanted to say that if you're recommending 
the show to friends. Let them know that if they find themselves unable to download it from iTunes or Jellycast, uh, particularly towards the end of the month, uh, on the Jellycast site, uh, I think there's about six days left for this month's uh, downloads, bandwidth uh, limits. Uh, that makes no sense to you at all. Look, let me uh, let me try and articulate this in a better way. If your friends find themselves unable to download the show from iTunes or Jellycast, let them know that they can always get it either from the uh, Stitcher. Uh, radio online app or the WordPress site. Stitcher you can follow on at Stitcher Radio, S-T-I-T-C-H-E-R. You can also get the show every week from the WordPress site. That's 1607westegg.wordpress.com. Every show, please don't hug me, all the Daniel Ruiz Tyson podcasts are uploaded on there. And uh, uh, I think this time next week I'll the new bandwidth levels will be set so it'll be available again but I don't envisage any problems but also for yourselves going forward as a fallback if you ever find you can't download a show go to the blog or go to Stitcher bizarrely well not bizarrely the the blog actually lets me see how people search for me to get onto the blog and uh, today someone's actually typed in porno ruiz I'm not sure who's uh, who's carrying out that uh, who's behind that search um, anyway, yeah, so every every uh, podcast is uploaded either onto Jellycast, iTunes, uh, Mixcloud, or the uh, WordPress site every Thursday night. Uh, so please remember that. Meanwhile, I'll continue to uh, throw whatever money I need to out the bandwidth. The show for now, uh, I don't think it's going to get back into the iTunes charts. Uh, iTunes are an absolute pain to deal with. Been arguing with them as, as, as much as I can, really, for a few weeks now given how difficult they are to actually uh, get a response out of. Um, and I think I've maybe got my card marked uh, now by them. I don't understand when I have three times the downloads figures of the show that was actually in the iTunes charts for 100 days earlier this year that I can't get back in now with superior figures. Um, you know, getting back into the charts would help with sponsorship. Has every show in the iTunes charts seen such an increase in their listening figures which would explain why I can't get back in the charts it's it doesn't make any sense to me the only way I've been told by them to uh, to, to sort this out and get back into the charts is to uh, resubmit the feed that would mean the show they disappearing from the iTunes completely for a few weeks I'd be getting emails and tweets asking where's the show that's a lot of hassle uh, seen a few uh, big shows recently had to do that you can lose your audience by the time I get back you guys are probably pissed off to listen to one of the uh, one of this show's numerous impersonators I'll never get you back I think I push hard on the uh, Stitcher app but I think uh, I run the risk of getting into a producers like scenario where I may be deliberately uh, trying to sabotage my own show anyway uh, before I go on ways as always to get in touch with the show Twitter at 1607westegg email me drt at westegg1607.co.uk don't uh, address me those drt I hate acronyms I'm just trying to uh, shorten the email address here make it as easy as possible there's also the uh, Facebook group the uh, Daniel Ruiz Tyson podcast ask to join I'll add you in and uh, remember you can also post via the blog I had a I had a moment earlier today in the uh, cafe where I was putting the running order together and uh, I saw a waiter delivering a chicken a scallop sandwich to a teenage mum and you know it rocked me it rocked me uh, I wasn't expecting that moment I wasn't ready for it it reminded me of my better days my successful days and it got me thinking and you know when you're winning when things are good, you always think the chicken and scallop sandwich is going to be with you. It's going to stay with you, as it was with me from 96 to 2008. I never thought I'd lose that sandwich. Of all the things I lost, I never thought I'd lose that sandwich. I miss it. I aim to get it back. I lost a few women. I didn't fight for them once they went, but I will fight for the chicken and scallop sandwich. That's my target. I'm, I'm targeting a chicken and scallop sandwich and a new pair of jeans, 2012. I am setting my ambitions high, people setting them high time now for this week's song overkill uh, regular listeners you'll know how this works you tweet in uh, hashtag song overkill or email the title of the song you've overplayed this week and uh, your reasons as to why you've overplayed it i've got uh two this week actually it might be three um the first one I keep forgetting to submit. I've been meaning to submit it for a few weeks now. Ride, leave them all behind. Epic guitar track over eight minutes long. Newman and Badil in the early 90s used to do a great sketch on the lead singer's uh, 
navel-gazing stance. You know, you have terrible eye contact. Uh, eye contact, a bit like me doing stand-up. Um, he just used to look at the floor. But I think this might have been the last great song of the Manchester era. Even though uh, I don't think they were from Ma uh, Manchester. I think they might have been from Oxford. I'll have to check that out. I don't think you had to be part of Manchester. I don't think you had to hail from Manchester to be classified as being part of the Manchester scene. I think that was a sound, wasn't it? If there are any Manchester experts out there, let me know. There were loads of Scouse bands also around at the time, I think, who were bunched in with the uh, Manchester uh, groups. You had the Lars, the Farm. Actually, there was a, uh, the Lars, there she goes. Uh, they did a brilliant live performance in one of the... Uh, early shows of the word the autumn of uh, 1990 uh, I've got a conflicting memory of that because that the, the day they were on I'd sell my cousin uh, an awful scritty politely album for five pounds it was vinyl how do you sell someone you grew up with and love for uh, something just for five pounds you know what how desperate was I for that money you know, 20 years ago, it still troubles me, it was 20 years ago. Now it probably makes sense. 20 years ago, what was I thinking? I was living at home, I wasn't paying any rent. Did I need to sting my own cousin for £5? Shameful. Anyway, the Lars Ron and uh, the Word, you know, always used to have uh, the, uh, their audience dancing to these live performances. I always wanted to dance, particularly at that period, but I didn't know how to. I thought if there was a dance that was within my grasp, it was the Manchester dance. It was, you know, white kids dancing, you know, not dancing properly, just moving. You could move in any way. It was very hard to look bad at that time. But I still couldn't pull it off. I just had no rhythm, still have no rhythm. You know, to... I think I got to grips with my shyness over the years, but it would still rear its ugly head on the dance floor. I, I, I don't like dancing. I don't like dancing. Um, you know, I'd watch the video on my own and I'd try to dance. It was it was tragic. I'd be doing my A-levels, I'd be in class thinking, you know what, I think I can pull that dance off. You know, the teacher would ask me a question about the Sylvia Plath book we were studying and my mind was, was just focused on trying to dance. Anyway, before I go on to my main song, another recommendation for fans of all things Manchester Northside. Uh, the band, uh, the song is Rising Star, little known band who amounted to nothing I think, but they were part of an ITV documentary, uh, I don't know if that was just uh, uh, LWT, the uh, London uh, station, or whether it was a nationwide documentary, it was around 1990 or 91, you can find it on YouTube if you type in Northside Rising Star, don't know if it was a South Bank show special, but they do a lovely live performance of the song. It's a it's a really good little song, which uh, I think 20 years on, you know, it still sounds good. still sounds decent. It's a lovely little performance. Um, you know, White Singer doing his little shuffle, playing the tambourine. If I was in a band, I'd need to play an instrument, even if I was the lead singer. That whole kind of thing where uh, a song breaks into, uh, you know, the... Uh, uh, instrumental as the songs wind into a climax and you're just there and all you've got is a tambourine I don't buy the tambourine you know you should not allow a tambourine on stage it's a really crap instrument anything that can be played by anyone is not an instrument an instrument should require work should demand time and effort and years of practice no no tambourines please the whole Liam Gallagher you know picking up a tambourine as an old Gallagher's you know doing his uh, was doing his uh, you know guitar stuff didn't work for me. Anyway, my actual song of the week this week is the uh, Downtown... Uh, let me just put my teeth back in. The Downtown Lights by the brilliant Blue Nile. Four albums in 30 years. Minimal, uh, minimal output. Make Tears of Fears look like uh, whichever band puts out loads of albums. Uh, I have no idea who puts out loads of albums. But, you know, back in the 60s or 70s, I don't think it was uncommon for bands to release a couple of albums a year. The uh, the track is from Hats. Uh, I think I've eulogised the band's frontman before, Paul Buchanan. For me, the best British singer around ahead of Tom York and Roland Orsible. I do think Orsible is uh, hugely underrated. I think most people recognise that Tom York is a is a wonderful singer, very versatile singer too. Thing is, and it's a it's a taboo, but white singers are inferior to black singers. We kid ourselves that we like our rock stars to have raw rock voices like Mick Jagger who can and has become over the years and you know he's had plenty of years to, 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 to get to this level a decent singer 
Uh, but like McCartney and Lennon, he is a possessor of what is essentially an ordinary voice, really. And it was the music that was special, the music that stood up to be counted, uh, the body of their work and the way it changed over the years that, that, you know, that, that gave those bands their merit. We tell ourselves as white... Uh, people and I'm, uh, you know, that, that that we like our singers like this, and that when a, a white singer comes around with an incredible voice to rival that of the best black singers around, we don't know what to do. Well, I don't buy that. I want my singers, regardless of colour, to be able to sing. And at the same time, we have all the brilliant black bands from the 60s through to the 80s gone now. All the Philadelphia and Motown bands, Sly and the Family Stone, Prince and the Revolution. I know these were mixed. Uh, mixed bands, you know, black and white artists. But, you know, where have all these great soul and funk bands gone? It's all about beats and samples now. Average singers like Rihanna, who, you know, for me, very overrated. Uh, they can hold a note, yeah, but there's nothing extraordinary about their voice. They're no Aretha Franklin. Sometimes you see a brilliant white band, brilliant music, and you think, man, I wish they had a a black singer nailing this song because it's frustrating and when they do come around like block party uh you know i don't think they quite pulled it off actually i i, I would have liked to uh you know they they had a black singer i don't know if he's left actually now but uh, i would have liked a, a more accomplished singer because i think block party was such a good band but fact is you know pop music doesn't really produce too many great singers uh, and, and certainly not many great white singers. It's like sprinters, the last great white sprinter, well, or, or top sprinter, Alan Wells. Then you had Mickey Boyd in the late 80s. Mickey couldn't cope with the pressure of being a white sprinter. Uh, and as he discussed on a recent Please Don't Hug Me, he took to the drink in the late 80s of soiling himself in public. It broke him. And I think that's what it was. He couldn't cope with the pressure of being a white sprinter. But anyway, back to the song... Uh, I love this song. Their first three albums are brilliant. Up to Body and Soul in 96. Uh, you can find great YouTube footage uh, from December 96. Uh, later with Jules Holland. Performance with, uh, on Jules Holland. And uh, that's how I first came across the Blue Nile. And it's uh, it's a brilliant performance. The uh, drummer on that performance actually looks like Bruce Grobler. Which uh, only uh, made them better in my eyes. Uh the last album, 2004, so there was a gap of eight years from their uh, third of, uh, album to the fourth album. There's now been seven years since their last album. It's got a brilliant song. I can't remember what it is, but the rest of the album, probably probably their weakest album so far. Um, by the way, actually, I don't know if I'm imagining it, but I swear I'd read that BBC4 as part of their Black 80s music season were doing a, a Black, yeah, Black 80s music season were doing a Public Enemy doc. And I even saw Chuck D tweeting about it. But as far as I can see, it's not been on. Now, there's a band that changed music, Public Enemy. Another band that whose influence completely went over my head originally. Uh, you know, that line about Elvis being a, a hero to most, but he was a straight-out racist, something like that. I mean, I don't think there has ever been a better and more explosive line written in music that is chuck d opening his kimono that is just outlandish it is brilliant it's amazing writing if i'd been a black guy i don't know what that music would have done to me you know i feel hard done by as it is you know and i'm just a white pale-faced spanish kid who people don't even believe comes from spain particularly since i got my nose changed a few times i've lost my spanish nose music wise all i had to go on was julio iglesias that was you know, that wasn't really going to do anything for me. Although, uh, you know, in defense of uh, Julio, uh, I think he has, he, he has a very good voice, to be fair. He also, and I might have mentioned this before on the show, he also once claimed to have made love every day since 1979. And I always thought, you know what, you shouldn't bind yourself to something like that. Because there would have been days where he just did not feel physically up to it. But, it, you know, to maintain this record, he would have done something with a woman. And who knows how much damage he might have caused his reputation had he not been able to perform to, to what I'm assuming was a, a very high level at his peak. Um, anyway, uh, let me see. I've actually forgotten who this uh, first song, Overkill, 
is from I think this might be yeah this is from the lovely William Stafford uh, copyright uh, Mickey Boyd William writes uh, hello Daniel hope you are well and keeping as warm as you can now my boiler broken for three weeks is back working again I hardly dare use it from fear of visits from the heavies of British gas my song overkill this week is sans dear un mod in brackets without saying a word by Emmanuel Moir this appeals to the romantic side of my nature the idea that one will recognise one's soulmate in a crowd without even having to speak to them. A beautiful song with a sweeping melody makes me go all soppy and puts my grade B at A-level French to good use. Going back to last week, Joey Lawrence was indeed in the sitcom Blossom right from the start. Yeah, that's where I got confused. I, I thought Joey Blossom, had, uh, Joey Blossom, Joey Lawrence had joined sort of midway through or something. Uh, yeah, Jerry Lawrence was indeed in the sitcom Blossom right from the start as the heroine's airhead brother. I still have a soft spot for him, if that's the right phrase. And I believe the name you were struggling with is pronounced enough enough, remembering how our American cousins like to pronounce Z as Z. Best wishes as ever, the lovely, etc. Enough's enough uh, Two Rivers Nine's uh, Donny V thing that he's been talking up for uh, weeks. At the end of his email, William then sticks something in brackets telling me it's not for mentioning on air. William does that every week. I, I always get nervous when I see that. I, I, I always worry that I will mistakenly read something out that I'm not meant to. Um, anyway, William, I hope, you, I hope you're keeping uh, warm. I have been uh, reading your tweets for the last few weeks. I know your uh, boiler was down. Uh, Drink Me For Free, Isaac and Heartbeat by Tahiti80. Seriously, I've played them both every day at least three times for the last fortnight. Uh, Drink Me For Free currently, I think, I think uh, she might have found a place now. She's kind of where I was uh, back in the spring, moving around from uh, sofa to, to sofa following uh, the uh, end of something. And, uh, you know, I hope she uh, gets back on her feet very quickly, and uh, I'm sure she will. Always an advantage when it comes to getting back on your feet if you haven't had a breakdown, I find. Uh, my IT support and close friend, Silly Casper. Uh, his submission this week is obscure. I can see now why he's been getting up late. Seems to be up all hours hunting down obscure music. I'd never heard of these guys. I have now seen this. I, I, I was around his... Uh, place earlier and uh, he played me this tune uh rocking all night long by bad lip reading i think billy two rivers nine's probably fallen off his chair right now and hearing the word rocking and he'll be checking this out uh silly casper writes a blr effort that has really grown on me uh this one uses a taylor swift song and adds wiz khalifa as the obligatory rapper blr writes fantastic pop songs but what's really blown me away is a recent anonymous interview in which the creator claims he does all the voices for these songs, even the girls, and that's part of the reason I keep listening to these. Besides, I doubt rapper Wiz Khalifa has come up with a better line than I'm an alchemist and beat is my bass metal. Having now seen this song, I'd be amazed if he has come up with all the voices. I don't doubt that he has if he's claiming to, but uh, it would really be an amazing uh, accomplishment because pff, I mean the voices are just uh, brilliant the uh, Snow Queen uh, from Narnia EV80 being a girl I like to dance and I've yet to find a genre of music I can't shake my ass to I'm currently doing just that to give it up by Lee Dorsey whilst in the kitchen baking cakes Two Rivers Nine will hear that and he will be having a tug there's no doubt about it uh, Pete Domican, uh, his song Overkill this week went for a new pronunciation there on the surname. It would be so much easier for me if Pete's surname was Dominican. Uh, I, I seem to struggle with his surname. Pete uh, emailed in this week. I'm going for the uh, vastly underrated wedding present with my favourite dress from the uh, George Best album, which was one of the most iconic indie albums of the 80s. I was never keen on these guys, I have to say. I think they got reasonably big in the late 80s. Uh, Pete continues behind the jangly guitars, gruff vocals and the tendency to have a bit of a thrash at the end of every song lies some of the finest bit of sweet romantic lyrics ever written. Slowly your beauty is eaten away by the scent of someone else in the blankets where we lay is just a wonderfully poignant line. John Peel once wrote about the wedding present, the boy Gedge has written some of the best love songs of the rock and roll era. You may dispute this, but I'm right and you're wrong. John Peel was rarely wrong. 
Thanks for that, Pete. Uh, Nick and B, Balthazar, Impresario by Frank Turner. Lovely, sad B-side, one of the best narrative songs I've heard in ages. Never heard of it. That's one for me to uh, check out. Mickey Boyd's number one fan, an Irish Brit. Uh, just heard this one whilst driving home Monday night. London Blues by the producers. Very calming after a busy day. Uh, the Doc... Uh, emailed in a gap band yearning for your love ran into it recently and my current loneliness i believe is causing me to gravitate to songs of this nature now i know the doc i'm not sure if the doc is capable of being on his own for long he is a love machine that man if he's out of action he'll be back soon i've, I've no doubt about it i used to work with the doc let me tell you in the world of nine to five escapades i bow down to no man except the doc my uh, first day working with him, within the hour, the pair of us were discussing the best fare evasion tactics on public transport. It was a it was a meeting of minds. Within months, the doc had me on zinc to give me an edge in the bedroom. He was a man of medicine. He he was a man of many talents. And I'd say it's probably a good thing I got kicked out of the job 18 months later because I don't know what schemes the pair of us would have eventually hatched. Muscular guy, very muscular. Um, when I put a call out this week on the blog you know uh, telling uh, listeners to get in their song overkills and so on for this week I, I asked also in that call out if I was too old to be using the word tunes and uh, the doc pulled me up on it uh, he wrote similar to the hoodies in the office tunes is stepping on murky ground mate just be careful with it is all that's that's a reference uh, by the doc to the end of my time there on the evening shift with him now what had happened, it was my second summer there, I turned up in a sleeveless hoodie after my... Really that was the mistake I made, I, I had established I had a low-key character, uh, you know, I was a low-key character, deadpan, funny, low-key, uh, nothing ostentatious about me. I don't think I got called out over the hoodie because of my age, I just think it, it, my personality had been established, it was not a personality that was capable of pulling off that look. No one there bought it, least of all the doc. I'll never forget his words to me. He just said, you got no business wearing that. You know something? I never even wore it at home. I never even wore that in bed. I was so ashamed. Every time I opened the wardrobe and it was there, and this was back in the days when I had a lovely flat in Putney, balcony I never walked out on, uh, dishwasher. I'd look at this uh, sleeveless grey hoodie in the wardrobe, and I was ashamed. Yeah, Doc, if you're listening, you kill me that night. You kill me even now. Even now that haunts me. Meanwhile, the uh, broken genius of the East Midlands, uh, Billy Two Rivers Nine, emailed in. Uh, typically, his email actually went into the spam folder. Nothing is uh, straightforward uh, with this uh, man, who this week has uh, claimed friendship with uh, snooker legend Willie Thorne. Uh, Two Rivers Nine writes, uh, Big night for the rockers, ravers, lovers and sinners of Nottingham tonight, Daniel. I think this is tonight. This is Thursday night. Perhaps as you're listening to this show, you can go on Twitter and uh, follow uh, Billy Two Rivers Nine's updates uh, from uh, from this uh, rock club. Uh, whilst you're freezing your sacks off, uh, sacks or socks? I suspect it could be sacks. Uh, recording tonight's show, I will be rocking my nads off at arguably, it is sacks, uh, at arguably the greatest rock and roll show to have hit Nottingham in the last decade. A mouth-watering triple-headed bill of Death Leopard, whose album I, I, I got. Uh, it was Hysteria, good album. Motley Crue and Steel Panther. Massive fan of all three bands, but Motley have always had that extra special place in my heart. Always transports me back to that glorious late 80s, early 90s period that we were talking about on Twitter this week, when bands like this were in the ascendancy. I've been hammering the output of all three bands over the last week. But the one track that got my blood pumping like no other was Motley Crue's Kickstart My Heart, a rousing, rollicking anthem. That, for me, encapsulates a great era for rock music. I'm not currently aware of any other bands from this era resurfacing, so listeners can be assured that I will not be submitting song overkills of this nature for the foreseeable future. Warmest regards, as always, the broken genius of the East Midlands, Billy Two Rivers Nine. P.S. Love the idea of the time zone feature. You know, on a Saturday night, Two Rivers uh, Nine and I were tweeting about the dress code for these clubs, and he unseated a, a disturbing memory in me as he was uh, tweeting about the attire for these clubs, and uh, they appeared to be bordering on the country and western. He was uh, talking about some shirt, dark shirt with white stars. <coughs> Excuse me. 
And uh, I suddenly remembered that in 76, summer of 76, the only time we all went on holiday together as a family to, to the Deep South, we were at a Spanish fairground, and I won a white Stetson. My dad always wanted a Stetson. He, he'd watch Dallas enviously every time JR was on there with a, with a big 10-gallon uh, hat. My dad would just sigh. He really did want a hat. Never got one. But uh, I won this hat and he would make me wear this cowboy hat around Clapham through the late 70s. If you were in Clapham around that period, I was the kid in the cowboy hat walking around with his mum and little sister in the local freezer centre. If you saw a little Spanish woman buying white, uh, buying white bait, that was my mum. And the kid in the cowboy hat, that was me. Lattes, they're not just for women, you know. You're listening to the Daniel Ruiz Tyson podcast. You're listening to the Daniel Ruiz Tyson podcast, Love, Loss and Lattes. Lots of lattes coming to you from SWH Stockwell, the capital of the fried chicken franchise. You'll have to uh, forgive me, a lot of talking this week, a lot of talking. Uh, starting to cough a lot. Got my uh, can of uh, Diet Blue Bolt. It's nearly finished. I'm not sure uh, there won't be more coughing throughout the rest of the show. So I was in the cafe last night. I was sat at my usual table working away on the book. Got my focus slightly back on the book this week uh, by completely relegating the search for nine to five work, you know, putting it on the back burner. I just can't seem to multitask anymore. 108,000 words now, uh, just 2,000 short of the target. Then it's going to be a load of editing. And I walk in and there's a guy at a table at the next table to my left with a girl. He had a loud, indiscreet voice. She was quieter. It was apparent from the conversation that they didn't quite know each other well. There, there was that, ex- you know, they were at that exciting stage where they were getting to know each other, where they would like the things that, in time, if something happened between them, they would grow to hate. That's how it works. I suspected she was probably bothered by his voice and was coming back with the quieter responses, probably trying to bring the volume back down, like I do with Silly Casper when we were on public transport. Like me, failing. He was a he was a very loud talker. This guy. I suspect he probably was trying to put the moves on her. I'm a, I'm a cynic. I, I think most guys would be trying to put the moves on this girl. He was a... Uh, I think they were work colleagues. <clears throat> and uh, I, don't, I, I, I don't think their coffee was platonic. On the surface, I think it was. I think they were both pretending it was, but I think something was going to happen there. But, you know, I went from thinking this... Well, I didn't actually think that this guy was a bit of a knob at all. I just... I just thought he wasn't being too honest about his intentions with her. But then he started saying things that resonated with me as he talked about his ex, fatally uh, revealing that they were still friends. I don't think you can be friends. I think that's unfair. Even if you can pull it off, it's it's unfair on the new people that come into your life. But as he spoke, he made me think. Uh, he was saying things like, I really liked her. And I thought, yeah, that was me. I try to make it work, I heard him say. I ticked that box there as well. I was too nice for her. Damn right, that took me a while to see that. She was very dramatic. Yes, selfish, oh yes. And I felt so uncomfortable that I thought I'd, I'd finish yesterday's missive for the book from home rather than stay there and listen to any more. Uh, as I got up, you know what? I realised that I hadn't done my belt or flies up. I'd forgotten to do them up as before going out it was so cold that I slipped on my tracksuit bottoms underneath my jeans and I'd obviously just forgotten to belt up. That didn't look good. But it was important I, I, I stepped out of there. You know, when you don't want to hear something but you're getting answers from a stranger who's who's not even talking to you and it's so uncomfortable that you need to get up and go. And he was talking to this girl but it felt as if he was speaking to me. Uh, and I recognise that I, 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 I've been badly scarred by what happened to me last year and what happened to my life. I recognise that and uh, I'm always fascinated by other people's experiences when relationships end. I'm, I'm fascinated by anyone in particular who can emerge from that unscathed. Now the first part of a, of a new uh, feature this week, the Nose Hall of Fame. Those of you who follow Victoria Sponge 7 may be aware of her obsession with noses. And I thought it might be an idea as a man in possession of a near-perfect nose, albeit uh, at the fourth attempt, if the uh, sponge gave us an occasional look at some of the great noses from history. And also, I'm hoping that she will be happy to look at your own uh, noses. So if you're feeling brave enough, tweet her pictures of your noses at Victoria Sponge 7 
I think she's hoping that uh, both Mickey and myself will tweet pictures, not of our current uh, noses, but of our original 1980s, uh, 1980s noses to her in the next few weeks. It'd be interesting to see what she makes of those. I mean, Mickey had a huge nose in the late 80s. He was known by the uh, Spanish-speaking uh, Spanish members of the class as La Nariz Grande, big nose. And I had a I had a Roman nose, I think. I I, I suddenly developed a very beaky nose in, in 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 the late 80s with very narrow nostrils, and that wasn't my nose. And I think that was the uh, consequence of the first rhinoplasty experience I had back in 86. Anyway, uh, I thought it'd be an idea uh, for for Victoria Sponge Seven to give us some background first as to how her fascination with noses originated. She emailed in. <clears throat> Excuse me. As long as I can remember, I've had an unrelenting obsession bordered on ridiculous with noses. From what I can recall, it seems to stem from my nan, a wise, wonderful woman who could spin a spectacular yarn. She referred to a nose she favoured as a handsome nose. Somehow my nan's fascination with the olfactory, olfactory organ managed to permeate the surface and left a legacy with me. Now when I see a particularly stunning nose, it is akin to the first time I saw my red shiny bike with stabilizers, one my dad found, I believe, at a car boot sale. It kind of resembled a Raleigh chopper, uh, in the same way my matchstick trainers resemble night trainers. Still, my face lit up with such joy I was speechless. That's how a good nose hits me. I love all noses. Big, small, long, short, wide and narrow. Nostrils are particularly important to me. I'm not terribly keen on the gothic church window. Brackets, long and narrow. Actually, those were my nostrils, I think, uh, pre-2005. Uh, so she says she's not keen on the gothic church window look. Uh, my preference is a more cave-like entrance, a larger and a little more ragged around the edges. Was that a coke addict? Is that what the kind of nose she's after? Some of my favourites are the ones that look a bit like uh, a, a, an irregular hexagon, are the ones that jut out from either side of a very straight nose. I think my nan referred to this type as a Roman nose. This is the type my nan had. It was stunning. The more amorphous the nose, the better. Lumps, bumps, and kinks are a distinguishing characteristic. My stomach is rumbling right now. I don't know if you're picking this up on the show, because sometimes people email me and say, oh, I can hear the sirens, I can hear that, and I hope you can't hear these rumbles. Soup and toast, not ideal preparation for a show, for a show that is uh, panning out to be as long as this one that, uh, this week. Uh, it's difficult for me to conceal the joy I feel when I witness a glorious nose. It must disturb those that surround me, but still I cannot desist. Recently I had the pleasure of glancing at a distinguished nose, the owner of which was a small, well-dressed, mature Mediterranean woman. The nose was prominent, almost hook-like, with a large cavernous nostrils. A perfection personified. Drawn to the nose, I felt compelled to move in for a closer look. Like a moron, I sat and stared at the striking beauty of it. Her high cheekbones complemented the nose perfectly, ensuring that even though it was large, it didn't look out of place. How I wish I could pictorial document occasions like this but that would be odd right it's difficult that some noses look better on that better uh, look better side on that than straight on however this nose crossed the those boundaries adequately you know what it would be, be it would be so much easier for me if people spell check their emails there's a little dig there uh, where am I now uh, it's difficult as some noses look better side on than straight on, however this nose crossed those boundaries adequately. It took me a while to realise I was almost nose to nose with this poor woman glaring at her asset. Luckily she didn't smack me full in the face, although I feel it's only a matter of time before that happens. Perhaps I need to work harder on concealing my fixation. I've been tempted to follow a sensational nose before, but how far is too far? Now this week's Hall of Fame will be uh, will appear later on in the show. Meantime, tweet pictures of your noses to Victoria Sponge seven or email them to the show drt at 1607westegg.co.uk and we'll forward them to her uh hairstyles you don't like uh not only a couple in this week uh remember this is about hairstyles you've never liked on partners uh again i don't think people are quite getting that aspect of it uh in fact no one's got it this week uh, an irish brit never happened to me before tell us about your experience of this with your past loves i shall look forward to it I'll probably have to say that for another time. Uh, Mickey uh, tweeted in meantime, I can't stand a tight perm on a man. Not very common, but all the more upsetting when you do see one. Ironic, actually, because uh, Mickey did have, or his hair, when he had it, could be mistaken for a perm. He had that kind of wavy uh, Tony Woodcock type uh, hair, big hair, uh, that was common in the 80s. Now it's uh, time for the second of this week's uh, new features, uh, Timestamp. 
Now, my memory is often praised, and rightly so. Long-term memory, I've got an amazing recall, but uh, short-term memory is an absolute disaster. Now, how this works, every week I give you a month and a year, and I want you to tweet or email in your memory from that period. Uh, I must stress, though, please do try and keep emails to to three, four hundred words, no more than that. Uh, I don't really have time to edit this stuff, and uh, I don't want the show to become uh, simply an exercise in me reading out stuff. Uh, you can uh, tweet these uh, timestamps to uh, to me at 1607westegg, hashtag timestamp, or just email them in drt at westegg1607.co.uk. Now on the blog and the Facebook uh, uh, page, I gave you uh, this week's uh, uh, year and month. It's May 94. Now I remember this month for so many reasons. It was a, it was a strange time for me. Uh, I was retaking my A-levels uh, and about to f- uh, fail them. Uh, I'd fallen in love uh, for the first time in my life uh, with a with the girl from college. I touched on that before. I, I I tried hard to fight it. I I never enjoyed being in love, even now. And uh, I had my heart completely dismantled that summer in a way that wouldn't happen again till last Christmas. Uh, so it's always been a stressful experience for me falling in love. I I, I didn't like the people I fell for. Uh, people that they were at that time at home though things were good it was just me and my mum I kept you know I I kept what was happening to me quiet I knew that I would fail my exams I I I I think I was struggling so much with how I was feeling for this uh, girl at college I couldn't cope with actually being there at that place and uh, I didn't even go to any revision groups or anything it was a it was a you know, I was wrestling with uh, my emotions. I knew the girl was leaving to go back home at the end of the summer, so it was all doomed. I had this wonderful job at uh, at a picture library in Fitzroy, which is why I can remember this month particularly well. We were one of the first uh, uh, places in the country to have an ISDN line. I think it was it was the best nine to five job I ever had. I made a big mistake leaving there the following year. Um, I'd be, you know, sat at the uh, PC transferring pictures of, uh, you know, the likes of Jackie Onassis, uh, Mitcherand, uh, Ayrton Senna, and uh, so on down the line to national newspapers. All these people, uh, well-known people, were dying that year. It was a, you know, the O.J. Simpson thing was about to happen. It was a very, very dramatic time. Uh, I also remember two things that troubled me. It was a big month of change in this country's recent political history. There was. Uh, the death, the sad death of the uh, uh, Labour leader, John Smith, uh, which ushered in the rise of Blair. I was in Vauxhall, I remember, when I saw the news headline, Standard, uh, massive heart attack in the bathroom. I liked Smith. After his initial heart attack in the late 80s, I remember him appearing on TVAM to talk about his new diet. And even then, I was old enough to think, you poor man, you can eat all the salads you like, uh, all the salads you like, but you know as well as we all do, this this thing's coming for you again. This thing's taking you. And I remember Michael Heseltine's uh, reaction to Smith's death. Heseltine, I think, when he'd had his own heart attack, had received uh, a letter from Smith, uh, and I think he was particularly touched by that. And he felt Smith's death took it quite hard. Smith, for me, John Smith seemed to have an integrity. Uh, uh, about him that few had the 92 election he didn't really give the people what they wanted uh, as shadow chancellor he he, he didn't uh, tell us he would do this and that and it probably cost Labour the uh, the election and gave us another five years of the Tories but you know he stuck to his principles and you've got to admire that uh, I remember Gordon Brown being slow to react you know about grief stricken uh, but by the death of someone he was close to, Blair, on the other hand, appeared to be ruthless. Phone lines are spotted being installed in his house on the same day. I also remember what was going on in uh, Rwanda. I remember it, and I remember the news stories, and probably not taking it in again. Um, and it was years before I realised the scope of what was going on there and how disgracefully the UN and uh, Kofi Annan acted. Uh, when it came to Rwanda, the death of the Belgian soldiers. I had a friend's girlfriend who was out there working with nuns, and I remember how stressed out he was by what was going on, and I didn't quite comprehend it. And one of the greatest books I ever read, certainly one of the most moving, was Shaking Hands with the Devil by General Romeo Dallier, who led the uh, minimal military presence out there. And the book covers his uh, frustration with the UN, 
It covered everything that happened, the horrors of what he had to deal with, of his breakdown. A deeply affecting book. Attempted to take his own life when he returned to Canada. I think he he is a senator out there now. Actually, there was also a brilliant documentary in which uh, that was tied in with a book in which he returned to Rwanda to meet up with uh, uh, Paul Gagami, who was the uh, I think the leader of the rebels, and he's now Rwanda's president. And Dalia described him in his book as one of the greatest living generals in the world today. Although you know recent stories about Gagami uh, been a bit disappointing, uh, if not unsurprising. But uh, yeah, so that's May '94. For me, uh, Eamon uh, tweeted in, uh, I was living my dream of being in a band and making music, also eating uh, jinxters, uh, which are pasties and scotch eggs I discovered on uh, uh, when I uh, pushed Eamon to uh, uh, expand on that. Uh, the only food to be found on the road, we lived in a bus most nights moving from gig to gig. That sounds like a good time, Eamon. Uh, moan up, I was working in a sausage factory in Stevenage. Luckily, things changed shortly after. Corsten. Uh, I was celebrating being six months old. You know, uh, yeah, I was. I, I, I got this tweet last night from Corsten. and it turns out he's 18 years old. I tweeted him last night, and I said, look, I, I'm 39. I can't be tweeting an 18-year-old boy at night. I'm old enough to be your dad. I'm not even CRB checked. If I carried on the, you know, the correspondence any longer, I'd have started to feel like one of those, uh, those guys who hang around with the scouts, Arkayla, you know. You always read dodgy stories about those Arkayla guys in the papers. You know, I was in five tops, three pairs of trousers. I'm necking painkillers for this uh, ache on the on the calf. The kettle was on for the hot water bottle. I didn't want the kid thinking every 39-year-old is like this. I want him to look forward to his life. And to his credit, to his credit, he understood or tried to. Um, I, I, I tweeted him. I, I told him uh, he'd know where I was coming from in 21 years' time. When he gets to 39, if life has disappointed him, if, if he's, you know, if... if the dreams have come up short. He'll understand. But uh, fair play to him. Not once did he insert an emoticon at the end of a tweet. And I told him. I was impressed by that. I told him tonight, tonight was the night you became a man, Corsten. Because every other person on Twitter hits you with an emoticon. Welcome to the show, Corsten. Welcome to the show. You have your whole life ahead of you. Don't waste it. If you fail your GCSEs more than twice, accept it. Move on. Don't, you know, don't take them a third time like I did. And if you do... Don't start going on police lineups like I did at Brixton Station to make easy money and all my Manchester clobber when I should have been revising. Don't do that. I could be saying all this. He may not even be a listener. He's, he may have just been humouring me, sensing from the tweets the recession has crushed whatever I used to be. I do get quite a few tweeters actually reply to call-outs for the show who I suspect have never heard the show and never will listen to the show. The uh, next timestamp, this, this is a big one, Pete Domican. Uh, May 94 had started badly, really badly. Kurt Cobain was not long dead. Then Ayrton Senna had been killed at Imola, whilst Arsenal had won the European Cup Winners' Cup. I think Pete's a Spurs fan, albeit from Bolton, if I'm right. I'm fascinated by Northerners who support London clubs. It's usually us down here in the South, glory hunting, following the clubs up north. Pete continues, in a black mood, I sat in the back of a hire car, my friend and his girlfriend up front, travelling up to Middlesbrough. Uh, our company had decided to relocate from the southeast to save money. Faced with the choice between financial salvation or unemployment, I decided to move and shut up. Says he's got fond memories of the northeast. He did his degree at Durham. Newcastle, he says, was an interesting, lively city, especially if you liked your women underdressed on a cold night out. But Middlesbrough is something else. It could be best described as a city in decline, except that it never ascended to any great heights in the first place. Every couple of years, a journalist comes up from London and writes an article on how it's not as bad as everyone makes out, based on the fact it has a Starbucks and a decent men's clothes shop, then returns home to the safe bosom of the capital. But they're wrong, and they're lying. It is far worse than anyone makes out. And as I come from a council house in Bolton, I tend to look on most places with kindness Pete says they had two trips up to Middlesbrough that month uh, the first confirming uh, their deepest fears uh, town centre full of police knee deep in litter and without a shell suit we looked out of place shops were mainly fast food outlets travel agents or pawn shops but there was a Debenhams now Debenhams in Bolton was always a little upmarket, but this one wasn't just piled with cheap suitcases and red shell suits presumably for the holiday season with five of the most deprived postcodes in England at the time it was clearly time to develop some sense of snobbery and look outside for somewhere to live Ingleby Barwick, you'll love Ingleby Barwick was the recommendation from a few people who lived up there, we set off to this promised land on our second trip and drove round in silence for an hour, uh, for half an hour 
I can't remember who said it first, but there was just a softly whispered fuck. Ingleby Barwick was and still is a modern housing estate of gigantic proportions full of executive homes. Apparently the footballers lived there, the ones who were too stupid to notice that Middlesbrough isn't on any tube map and were lured by the high wages offered by the local lad made good chairman Steve Gibson. And if it was good enough for them, except it wasn't. It just looked bleak, soulless and devoid of humanity. My friend tried to accentuate the positives. We're not living here and that's that, said his girlfriend in a tone that offered a swift end to any relationship if the conversation continued. I was sat in the back contemplating whether to end it or there and then. Pete says he was stuck in Middlesbrough for three years. Luckily they found the house in a nearby market town. Uh, uh, it was a nice place to live but the view of Middlesbrough as you drove over the hill on the way to work always reminded me that I never belonged there and never would. Uh, says he had a girlfriend for a short while who lived in Redcar. This made Middlesbrough seem quite exotic by comparison and pretty soon I spent as much time away from Middlesbrough as I could. I had a frequent fly card and several airlines and I made sure that I visited our European sales offices as frequently as possible. Eventually Pete says he moved back to the south east. The highlight of his three years in Middlesbrough were, he says he's leaving due, where bizarrely invited by one of my work colleagues who knew them were footballers Emerson and Janino who turned up to wish well even though they could barely speak english the look of quiet desperation in their eyes was all too plain to see they both had houses in the ingleby bar there was little i could say by way of consolation i shook their hands and never looked back there are many worse months in my life than may 94 but as a sign of things uh hard uh, as a sign of hard uh, times to come it remains one of the most memorable Thank you for that, Pete. Callum VS. Uh, my uncle lives in Devon, and for years we used to stay there as a family for some of the summer holidays. My timestamp moment probably happened two or three times, and it was helping to stack square bales of hay onto a trailer in the farmer's field beside my uncle's house. My brother and I would join in picking up the bales and stacking them. My uncle told me years afterwards that the farmer and his farmhands used to find it funny that we were so polite as we used to say thanks or cheers or something each time someone threw a bale to one of us. My favourite photograph of my brother Matthew is of him standing in that field in his blue jogging bottoms and yellow t-shirt brown as a berry and smiling i think callum vs is in bethnal green tonight in a kilt i have no idea why i hope he makes it out of there uh dotmund i hope i've said that right uh i was sad because ayrton senna died and then i became completely obsessed with formula one and still am uh, then i grew a beak okay that bit didn't happen i've seen dotmund's uh You'll have to tell me, actually, if I'm saying his handle right. But I've seen his website. I like his uh, artwork. If, if it's the guy I'm thinking of, I, I do like his artwork. Um, again, until recently, I didn't fully realise how great Senna was. I'm not a fan of Formula One or any rich person sport. I find it a dull TV sport. But I'll tell you what. The writing on Formula One and the coverage is superb. The Senna documentary was amazing. I think there have been few greater sporting rivalries than Senna Prost. It's got to be up there with Ali Frazier, Borg, McEnroe. Uh, it might even... I, I think it's the equal of Ali Frazier. I really do. Um, you know, I remember seeing Prost at Senna's funeral. That must have been difficult for him. And it showed how much of a man he was because they were rivals. There was no love lost. But... Uh, uh, both brilliant brilliant drivers and very different drivers hello bonobo i was in my first year of secondary school can't remember anything else that's great that makes me feel old uh bob chagall uh, in may 94 i was working night shifts at grattan's catalog warehouse in bradford living the dream are grattan still going on have they died is freeman still going on what happened to all these catalog companies Miss Ella Simone, I was sulking that Man U had won the double, but slightly appeased by Arsenal having won the European Cup Winners' Cup. Oh, and I was getting really stoned. Yeah, I, I'm a Liverpool fan. I struggle with that Man U team. I struggled with the fact that they won the double. It was chucking it, chucking it down with rain that day. I remember our BT phone had uh, gone down. We didn't have a phone for about nine days. That United team was frightening. Keenan Ince in the middle. It was, I think, the Leeds United for my generation. It was just a hard, hard team. Brilliant attacking team, but hard. Kanchelskis and Giggs flying down the wing. Hughes, Canton are up front. Keenan Ince in the middle, not taking any prisoners. Uh, a team I hated, which is a sure sign that they were a brilliant team. That Arsenal team, meanwhile, that won the European Cup Winners' Cup. I don't know how Arsenal went from being on the cusp of dominating the English game at the start of the 90s to just becoming a cup team, winning Cups 1-0. I don't know how George... Graham threw it away because it was them who knocked Liverpool off their effing perch. 
anyway, look, keep your timestamps coming in. Uh, please, you know, like I said, keep them to three, four hundred words minimum, uh, if that. Uh, hashtag timestamp, uh, tweet them to at 1607westegg or email them in brt at westegg1607.co.uk. Next week, it's December 99, people, the end of the millennium. Get recollecting, get those timestamps in. You're listening to the Daniel Ruse Tyson podcast, Half Man, Half P45. Had a 60 watt bulb, uh, bayonet bulb, blow in the bathroom, and I knew I was going to find it difficult to replace. Um, I'm, I'm not too keen on environmentally friendly bulbs. I understand why they exist, um, but particularly in the bathroom, they take a while to get bright. You, you want to have a shave. It's a windowless bathroom. Uh, so I stuck a 100-watt bulb in there yesterday morning. You walk in there, it's like having a vision. You've got a bright light blinding you as soon as you walk in. It's like the uh, first part of uh, Zeffirelli's Jesus of Nazareth when Gabriel, the angel Gabriel, is appearing to Mary. Something that's always worried me, getting a message from God telling me to go out there and, and, and preach, to spread the word. I'm so lazy. I, you know, I hate traveling. As I said earlier, I'm not curious about the world. That would be a nightmare for me. But anyway, uh, at the last flat, actually, uh, where we recorded the uh, first ever Please Don't Hug Me, I had all these environmentally friendly bulbs, and uh, I had to take the lampshade off the, uh, the, the, the main light in the front room because it was just so dark in there. It was like being on the set of the others. It... Uh, it really was, really was. Uh, actually, if you're a fan of Turn of the Screw adaptations, a film you want to check out, it's the best adaptation. Better than The Innocents, better than the others. Uh, it's a little-known TV version of it, The Haunting of Helen Winter. It's, uh, uh, played uh, the nanny, the governess, it's played by an American lady, and the two child actors in a country that produces crap child actor after child actor, you know, from these stupid stage schools. The kids are brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. Uh, I can't recommend it highly enough. I've only seen it once on the BBC. It's very creepy. It's uh, it's my favourite novel, uh, The Turn of the Screw, novella. I love it. It's a, it's a, it's a masterpiece. Anyway, so I, I, I'd, I'd gone to the big supermarkets. I knew I wasn't going to find the uh, bayonet uh, fittings uh, there. I don't know why. I don't know why the 60-watt bulbs are so difficult to, to find. Everything seems to be a screw-in bulb, a spotlight bulb. So I had to start going around the news agents. I knew they were going to get, you know, I knew that I would get skanked on the prices there. You know, news agents, uh, the, the corner shops, absolute nightmare. Some of their prices. So I, I, I eventually found a place that that stocked them. I bought, uh, bought a couple. This morning I, because I could have sworn that I'd seen, I'd seen them stocked at the local supermarket. Phillips bulbs. I, I was sure I'd see them. And this morning, I opened one of my uh, cupboards, and sure enough, I had two 60-watt bayonet bulbs, Phillips. That's where I'd seen them. I hadn't seen them in the supermarket. I'd seen them here. Amazing. Uh, I, 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 I just couldn't believe it. I'd, I'd spent so much of yesterday evening trying to track them down, and all the while, I had spare ones here. Um, we were talking, I think it might have been on uh, Please Don't Hug Me, the uh, streetlights, how they're being damned, council saving money. We had a couple of assaults around here in the last week, one in uh, uh, Sainsbury's Nine Ounce Car Park, I think. I certainly saw the end of something going on there with some uh, poor girl being taken in by security the other night, and an, uh, an assault uh, on a, a nearby road, which is poorly lit here. I mean, we can't even see who our assailants are now. This is uh, this is a worry, you know. Councils really need to get their act together. There are other ways to make savings. Uh, let us uh, at least give us a chance in these difficult times to be able to walk the streets uh, safely. I'd give you a, uh, a quick nectar point update, but I, I I I've lost my receipts. I don't think uh, I made a point of not going to Sainsbury's today. I think I'm on around two nine three, something like that. I bought uh, the last thing I think I bought in there was. Uh, couple of days ago might have been three cans of diet blue bolt they've got their three for one pound offer again i don't know whether that would have given me just the one nectar points i'll try and be more on the ball next week uh the first entry into the nose hall of fame from victoria sponge seven is william pitt the first earl of chatham he was the first earl of chatham and the prime minister in office from the 30th of july 1766 to the 14th of october 1768 i think he might have been pitt the younger i can't be sure on that 
the sponge writes, it could be argued that Freud's interpretation of the nose as a penis substitute adds an interesting dimension to understanding those of us with an obsession with noses. However, that's not the case for me. I admire them like a Botticelli painting or a or a something sculpture. Uh, I think she's testing me here with the pronunciations. I'm not ready for that word. I need to work on that word. Whilst wandering around the magnificent palace of Westminster, I stumbled upon one of the finest noses I've ever seen captured in time in the form of a bust. The nose belonged to the first Earl of Chatham, a noble man with a brave military career, sharp, educated mind, and a noted orator. In addition to that, a bit like Mickey Boyd. In addition to this, a nose stood before me, a large, commanding, proud... Uh, walking around the bust, I could consume the nose from every angle, shockingly long with wide nostrils jutting out from each side. I wondered had... Terrible spelling here. I wondered what had this nose uh, brought to his life. Had he struggled due to the sheer size of it? Did he look at himself and beg for a smaller nose? Did he attain all he wanted or did the nose hold him back? From what I can gather, the nose did not hinder Pitt at all. I guess you have to be a certain kind of person to carry such a grand nose, the kind of person who can lead and motivate men to fight for their country and win. Tweet your noses to Victoria Sponge 7 or let her know which historical nose you'd like her to analyse. Uh, more from her in uh, next week's show. Um, coming towards the end of the show now, thanks to those of you who donated to the Keep Your Head Appeal on the back of last week's show. Regular listeners... You know what happened to me last year. I've talked about it plenty of times. If you're new, Show 31 is a good place to start. You'll find uh, much of the info as well on the fundraising page. Over £500 raised so far, all of which is going to the Adult Psychotherapy Department at St. Thomas's in South West London. Humbled by large and small donations uh, and uh, any retweets on Twitter appreciated. The uh, page is uk.virginmoneygiving.com slash Daniel Ruiz Tyson. The appeal runs until Christmas Eve. Two shows left after this. 16 days in which to donate. Uh, the show, it wouldn't be coming to you if it hadn't been for the help these people gave me. Without them, I don't think I'd have turned things around. I'm not sure where I'd be. I suspect, though, I'd be in the same clothes. That's 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 the only thing I can tell you. Uh, the uh, page again, uk.virginmoneygiving.com forward slash Daniel Ruiz Tyson. Please rate and review the show on iTunes if you have a moment. It is getting cold here now. I actually took my second jumper off. Uh, that's going straight back on now whilst I uh, upload this. Um, yeah, rate and review the show on iTunes if you have a moment. Uh, thanks to those of you who already have. You can listen also on Jellycast, Stitcher, and Mixcloud. You've got the Facebook group that you can join, the Daniel Ruiz Tyson podcast. Uh, ask to join. I'll add you on. Follow the show Twitter at 1607WestEgg. Email drt at westegg1607.co.uk. You can catch up with my work on Sabotage Times. Um, alternatively, stick to posting on the blog 1607westegg.wordpress.com. And you know what? Before I go, I want to dedicate this week's show to the broken. Yeah, this show is for you. This show is for those of you that are lost or in the process of losing. We can come back. We will come back. Worst case scenario, right? Worst case scenario, we put one another back together again like Humpty Dumpty. But we mix it up a bit. We take pieces of each other and mix ourselves up. It may be that you have something about you that is actually what I'm missing. And it might be that I have something that you're missing. It might be that you can do more with my tan shoes that I've, you know, than I've been able to achieve. But uh, seriously, I dedicate this show to all of you that are struggling. Uh, please have a good week. Stay strong. Stay warm. Until then, I'm Daniel Ruiz Tyson. And I think you know, I'm never going bald. Next week, people. Next week. <laughs>